So you're known for playing with both your right hand and your left hand on the fretboard. Yeah, which brings me to I, I can. Uh, can you? I can demonstrate. demonstrate? <laughs> well, you know, before the internet, nobody could search things and whatever. But you know, lately everybody's going, "Oh, Eddie Van Halen didn't invent tapping and and pull hammer-ons and pull-offs and this and that." And I never claimed that I did, but I do know how and when I figured out how to do it. And on top of that, I never really heard anybody do with it what I did, which is actual pieces of music. But I'll never forget, Alex and I used to go to every concert um, at, the, at the Forum in L.A., and uh, Led Zeppelin's playing, and, and Jimmy Page is going like this. He's going... Okay, so he's got his hand up in the air, in the air and I'm going... So basically, I just moved the nut. Okay, this part right here is the nut. But then, I, I instead of using this hand, I use this hand. So, like right now, if I go like this, you can't tell which finger I'm using. This hand or that hand? You tell me, right hand or left hand? No, so my, my point being, my point being is it's basically this finger or these two or however many you want to use is just an extension of this hand. Okay, so if I'm playing an A, Minute time limit coming out of the black corner to combine weight of 666 pounds. Recording to you from Panama. I'm your boy Andrew Hobbs. This is Bobby. The first rule of the Wrestleocalypse is you talk about the Wrestleocalypse. 
But you can call me Tyler Durden. <laughs> and once again, we're bringing you another edition of the... And I know for most of you listeners that regularly listen to us, we had a different song on our intro, because as most of you know, when you finally listen to this and you already know that we lost a heavy hitter, a juggernaut of a man and a guitar player, that is Eddie Van Halen. Just real quick, um, he was one of the guys that, like, my dad grew up, my dad listened to him, I grew up listening to him. He's one of the reasons I picked up the guitar. He was just a revolutionary guitar player, changed, made his own guitar tone, changed the way the guitar was being played. And just like the legacy that he left and is leaving is going to be whale alive, way beyond our years, you know, and everybody else's. Bobby, what do you think about all this? No, I think you uh, hit the uh, proverbial nail on the head. I mean, you know, when you talk about how many young guitar players just desperately want to learn how to play Eruption, you know, let alone all of the other nuanced and intricate ways he played. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that he is up there with the, the greatest of all guitar players. I mean, the way I always judge guitar players, uh, and this is one of the reasons I really love like Jimi Hendrix, and I would say like Randy Rhodes, is like their playing evoked some sort of emotion that stuck with you. And I think Eddie Van Halen certainly did that. Um, it also helped he played in a really, really good band, too. And yeah. so he was able to really stretch his legs because they were all such good musicians. Yeah, exactly. And um, so we're going to be doing the same format, but you'll notice a little difference with all our songs and everything like that. So sit back, enjoy, and um, just here we go. Here we go. All right, well, we have a lot to talk about. We're going to start off with um, the, I, I would have to say, 2020's best pay-per-view, hands down. Yeah, I can't disagree with that one. Um, it was a perfect time, like you put. Um, all, the, all the matches made sense and made sense for everything to move forward. It didn't leave another period, even though we had some results where no title state, uh, changed hands. Everything told the story that was needed to be told, and I'm pretty excited for NXT moving forward. Yeah, takeovers, uh, we have often said, check the archives. Every takeover has the opportunity to be the best. They just seem to, like we said, uh, they're not overly long. We're talking about like two, two and a half hours. Generally speaking, there's high-stakes matches, which is one of the big parts of why we want to watch, right? Why do we care? They are able somehow, even with this short run-up, a real short run-up uh, to this pay-per-view, they really <clears throat> built some feuds that I wanted to see. And having four title matches on the card, every match had a little bit more oomph to it. So uh, one of the things I really liked, and I think you did too, um, the, the way Kushida uh, at TakeOver submitted Velveteen Dream. Yeah, and I also like this little tweak that they did with Kushida's character because, I mean, I watched him in New Japan and I already know how awesome he is, but it seemed like he was falling the wayside of WWE. We don't know what to do with Japanese wrestlers, but they gave him a little edge after him after getting jumped by Dream and then he started it. And I just like that new fire that they had with Kushida. Like, I liked him anyway, and this just makes it even better. And um, uh, so I, I don't know. I thought that was a really good match just storytelling and ring work wise. Yeah. And I think one thing we got to do, cause we're talking about so much is as we kind of go through these, we can talk about 
how they relate to this last week's um, stuff. Good call. And so, yeah. you know, this week, Kushida coming off that really strong win, he goes up against uh, Tommaso Ciampa uh, to start off the NXT. And um, interesting bringing Ciampa into the feud and interesting how they kind of ended up writing that match out. Yeah, because it's cool because none, neither guy can afford to lose momentum. Like, Kushida just come off a win, so he can't lose. And Ciampa, like, he's kind of in limbo here. And um, he doesn't need to be taking a loss because he's been on a roll, be, becoming the more dastardly Tommaso Ciampa that we know. And, um, yeah, he's in the mid-card. But, you know, what? sometimes you need to drop down there to kind of build it up because you, if you have a strong mid-card, and then, you know, that means you're um, – your main event is strong as well too. So I don't have a problem with having a strong build, a card all the way around. And um, a lot of people say they want Ciampa to be in the title match, but Balor's not going to be dropping the title anytime soon. And so I think this is a good part for him if he is in the Kushida Dream Feud. But also I think a pre, uh, program with Damian Priest could work really well because both those guys have a lot of momentum and I think uh, it would be good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it's interesting. It's I have reservations. I'm such a big Chapa fan, but I think he has the ability to elevate Kushida. <clears throat> and I feel like with Velveteen Dream, he's got to pay. He's got to pay for some indiscretions. And WWE has a history of doing that through booking. So you'll see him being yeah. the our cowardly heel who gets his comeuppings. I believe that's how I see this playing out. Um, Champa helps build Kushida in the eyes of the NXT fans. They've done a poor job of booking Kushida, as you alluded to. I mean, at one point he was on 205 Live when that was still a thing, which is no offense to those guys. You know, I love the cruiserweights, but Kushida is above that, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, the thing with Velveteen Dream that you brought up, he's going to be taking some medicine, as we saw, yeah. as we saw this Kushida feud. And as we keep seeing through it, like the double axe handle to Ciampa was fucking hilarious. And, you know, he seems to be taking it like a champ. He's probably happy he's still employed. But yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what the indiscretions were. I'm not going to make uh, many statements on that. That's not even any of my business. But, yeah, just be prepared to see him counting the lights a lot. And it's going to be entertaining, to be quite honest with you. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think all we can say is this. He brought some bad press on WWE, and generally speaking, when you do that as a wrestler, you're going to pay your comeuppance. Yeah, for sure. And then, yeah. um, so, we, so we still have the same Cruiserweight champion. I keep forgetting El Ijo de Fantasma's real name that they're doing now, but he uh, retained in a dope match against Strick, uh, Swerve Strickland. I, I enjoyed that match. That was close to the match of the night for me. I don't know how you feel about that, Bobby. Yeah, I really enjoyed the in-ring work. One thing I'm like, this is probably the only pick, the nit I can pick, is I'm just kind of looking back and like, I don't really know what they're doing with Swerve, you know? He's yeah. like, it's so, but he's definitely very good in the ring, and the more they can get him in matches that matter, he definitely fits on a, on a takeover, because you know he can run, you know he can do it in the ring, but um, I don't know, I just it made me reflect on the Cruiserweight, where they had the They've just—it's it, just such a mess right now. I guess. Well, like, if you don't know, if you don't know who Swerve is, then you don't really have any reason to watch this guy because if you just see him, he's just good in the ring. Like for me, I saw him and I've known him um, through the Indies and Lucha Underground, and so you know I have a lot more invested in him. But even for me, like a, a guy that can watch all aspects of pro wrestling, it's that while the, the 
the match that was at TakeOver saved, uh, which was a kind of been a meh program. So as they keep doing more with these guys, um, El Fantasmo, Hijo de Fantasmo is a great character. I mean, they're doing, they're yeah. making knock out of the park with him and his cronies. So if they keep, keep doing that, then they could just build on it. Because I think what was cool about this TakeOver pay-per-view is that not only did it get some feuds out of the way, but it built some in that same time, if that makes any sense. And like, I, I think it's really cool. That was just like, Triple H is really good. And uh, excuse my French here, of doing more with less. I'm not, it's not an indictment on the talent, but just about, just because of the NXT that we've known with all the huge names that we're not going to name off that you guys should already know. It's just like this um, roster that they have is kind of, kind of like a winded, but you know, um, it's, they're doing really well. And so I, I'm just props to all these guys because it's pretty much one of my favorite things to watch right now. Yeah, I agree. And one of the most brutal matches on that card was the main event. And that was the, um, the, for the uh, NXT championship, the Prinks, Finn Balor versus um, O'Reilly. And uh, yeah. obviously it was a great, great match. Very brutal. I thought like really hard hitting. Um, yeah. Uh, Finn Balor has got a broken jaw. They said, so he's out like, three to four weeks. It's like that guy can't catch a break when it comes to running, uh, getting titles. I don't think they're going to strip him. I hope they don't, but that was just, I think what I was also wanted to say too, that you brought it up is it's like, while as a spectator, these strong style snug matches are cool to watch. I always ask myself when these injury reports come out, it's like, are they worth it? Because you have a guy like Ballard that just busted his ass to gain this momentum back that not because of him, he lost, but because of his booking on the main roster, but he's back to his normal form, and then here's this roadblock he hits after this gem of a match with O'Reilly. So it's just like a lot of these. This is where I'll agree with Orn before I get off on a tangent. A lot of these guys got to work smarter. I know it was a pay per view. I know it's huge, but you don't need to be busting the guys in the mouths. I know it's an accident, but I just think like these guys are getting injured more and more, and they need to pull it back just a little bit. You know, we're gonna like it regardless, but. It doesn't have to keep going. They don't have to keep setting the bar higher and higher when it comes to their health. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And that's one thing that I would say. It's like, you know, when you start pushing and pushing to get, you know, more and more strong style, you're opening the door for more and more mistakes that hurt, right. you know, that cause injury. And so, yeah, and it sucks because they've invested a lot in Bauer. Like, but I don't think he's going to be off and I don't think they're going to strip him. Um, but also the same thing holds is like right after that match, they had this really awesome cliffhanger, right? Um, right. we have Rich Holland dumping a beaten Adam Cole, baby, on yeah, the apron. Was, and basically that like, cool that was a cool twist. But before we get into that, I just wanted to touch real quick on the two other title matches with, um, we had Damian Priest retaining in the dope ladder match against Johnny Gargano. And then. In turn, Mrs. Gargano fought in what I thought was the match of the night against Io Shirai. And that match was really cool. Some shenanigans by the Garganos, but Io retains. And then in that, we saw the return of Tony Storm and Ember Moon. So those are two huge names that are added to a, a pretty good roster right now. So I'm pretty excited for the women's division. And I'm glad like they're gaining some traction. I don't know where the Garganos go from here, but I just I thought it was both of those matches were fantastic. Yeah, I agree, but I didn't they um didn't um no. 
they were on they were on NXT this week though, weren't they? Yeah. No, the Garganos? Yeah. I only watched the condensed version on Hulu because it's not on the network yet. I don't think they were. Mm-hmm. They had um the the main event was Rhea Ripley and Ember Moon versus Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. Right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah. I thought they made like a they had a vignette. I could be wrong though. They're yeah, on so back, then back to um talking about working smarter on last week's or this week's NXT the guy Ridge Holland that we were already talking about was in a brawl between Oni Lorkin and Danny Birch and then he got Ridge Holland got carried on a stretcher. Yeah. He, he put the thumbs up and so I don't know, they always do that. But I'm just saying it's like I get it. They're on the big stage. They want to impress, but like look at why guys like Orton last so long or like, you know, uh, I mean you could go with even Hogan who lasted a long time. It's because it's like, if you get over enough, then you won't have to just like go balls out because it's guys like Hogan and Orton and even Austin, like they didn't in the rock, they didn't get popular with moves. They got popular because they're charismatic. They knew how to tell a story. They knew how to work. And it's just like moves. In my opinion, if you just do so many moves, they're just going to get you injured in a sport. That's already got a high injury rate. And you could just go down the people of like their technicians that lasted a long time. And you can see that these guys aren't flipping or, um, or punching or doing anything like super crazy. It's just like, I like watching these guys and I want them in here for the long haul. I may sound like this old guy yelling on his porch, but I think a lot of this makes sense because you know, you don't have a lot of time to get this money. And if you're injured, they're going to move on to the next one and you're going to be left in the dust. Exactly. And I think in a few minutes, we're going to talk about somebody who's been in the game for 30 years. So yeah, not to spoil sure. it too much, but I do want to give the update. NXT, NXT star Rich Holland underwent surgery today after suffering a gruesome lower leg injury. Basically, what they said is he dislocated and broke his ankle and he dislocated and ruptured his patellar tendon. So yeah. it may be pre it may be predetermined, but this shit is real. Yeah, and that guy was in the right place. He had a program with Adam Cole disputed going, and that shit's in the trash. So it's like I'm not I'm not blaming it on him. I'm just saying like the risk for this shit to get injured is already high enough, and you don't want to like make it even higher. You know, we just got Dexter Loomis back, who who came from another ankle injury, who had a lot of momentum. So he's gonna have to get that back. And it's just like it's like I wish somebody was there to like tell these guys to work smarter. I know there's not a crowd, so it's harder, you know, to gain that traction. But it's just like, you know, tell your story in the ring. Like, man, watching a Randy Orton match, the guy kicks and punches, save for a few moves. And, like, the guy is the guy has eyeballs glued to the screen. I mean, back, look at the pay-per-view last week with Jay Uso and Roman Reigns. That was just a straight-up fucking beatdown. But the thing is, people were tuned in because of the backstory and how people were, how these guys were working. And it's just... There's room on the card for all kinds of shit. You can have your spotty stuff. You can have your storytelling stuff. But just don't do one more than the other. Make it a variety. That's what made wrestling dope back in the day. Yeah, and lean into the ta- lean into what your talent can offer too. I feel sometimes people have a or when they book all promotions, not singling anyone out, but all promotions, sometimes they like in the service of whatever story they have in their heads, they aren't actually looking at like the abilities and skills of the talent that they're 
putting out there, you know. I agree. So, but one thing I did want to say, we got to wrap NXT up and move on, um, is super excited about my main man, your main man, probably the Dark Lord's main man, Dexter Loomis, tortured artist, making his in-ring return. I feel that NXT missed him. Yeah. Again, simple injury, shelf some guy, kind of stalls their momentum, but uh, NXT has very few real characters. He's a real character, and right. uh, I'm excited to see what they can do with him. Um, hopefully, they can find a good uh, program to put him in. Yeah, he seems to be um, going up against Austin Theory, and I think that might be a one-off. I'm not sure, but just do something with that guy because that guy is pretty awesome. And he, like I said, he throws that variety into a very wrestling-heavy NXT. Yes, I agree. I agree. But we got to move on. Uh, there was another pay-per-view that uh, since last time you and I spoke, um, and it was the Clash yeah. of Champions. Clash of Champions, yeah. So it was a decent pay-per-view, and we're going to talk about that the same way we do with NXT. We're going to probably wrap up pretty much every all the mainstream um, WWE stuff as we kind of go through these. Um, as good as the TakeOver ladder match was, it was not as good as the one on Clash of Champions. Yeah, I mean, well, you had Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, and Sami Zayn in there. Those guys have been in the game for fucking ever. And it's like they're, I mean, Styles, Styles is one of the best. Hardy, that's his wheelhouse, and Sami Zayn playing that X Factor is, is pretty good. That was the, that was probably match of the night for me. I don't know about you. Yeah, I thought it was dope. I liked. Um, I I want to say it was AJ Styles who threw the ladder like a javelin. Yep. And Sami Zayn was great. Uh, they've they've been getting a lot. I mean, I swear to God, it should be a tag team: Jeff Hardy and Jeff Hardy's um, earlobes. Seriously. Because they, really, they've been really going to that well a lot. Yeah, it's pretty... I mean, because you know how w, what WWE does. They find something that works, and then they do it as many times as they can until people get over it. But I thought it was a pretty interesting spot. It made it different than just, you know, using your classic ladder stuff. So all three of those guys yeah, are... Yeah, and when, and when Sami Zayn pulled the key out of his mouth, like... Yeah. Which is, like, a very classic cartoony, like... This is one of the reasons I loved it so much because I—that's what I remember about like that's what I love about wrestling. It can kind of be a little bit out, like it's wrestling. So for him to pull the key out and just like it was great. I love that. I love that a lot. Um, and then after that, I, uh, Sami Zayn and Jeff Hardy had a match, um, and Sami Zayn basically is the undisputed, buried the fake title and whatever, and that program will move on. So. Um, and, I don't know exactly how they can book it moving forward, but that's how I thought they should have booked it. So, I mean, cause like I said, Styles doesn't need the title and Jeff really doesn't need it either. And I don't know, hopefully they can just elevate it from here. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. And his old com- compadres, Nakamura and Cesaro, um, they don't get a lot of shine, but man, they, they just keep putting on good matches. They're fun matches. Like, I like watching them. That's all. It's like, they've got a really yeah. good thing going. Fit really good together, so. Yeah, it's good. I just, like, it's hard for me to get into it because, you know, those belts aren't worth anything. And I know their matches are good, but, you know, they've just so been so far down the card that even someone like me that's a big fan of both just doesn't even really care. So that's saying something. 
But props to them for making chicken salad out of chicken shit because they're one of the high points in WWE right now. And WWE's just, they've had quite a few high points, though, to be quite honest with you. It's not as much uh, more better storytelling, more better, <laughs> better storytelling. And just it, it's got some good points. Yeah, definitely. And and they've got a lot of good things on the burners. Um, they're going to burn about half of them, I'm sure. And they'll be in, un, inedible. But I think, like, excuse me, uh, like, I think the Reigns-Uso storyline has legs. You know what I mean? I think that, like, the way they, so they had the, the whenever you have the towel being thrown in in a wrestling match, that means the program is continued. Yeah. I just, I, I'm, I'm interested I'm not losing my shit like most people are over this, which is kind of hilarious. I'm I'm interested. I'm watching, and I'm just hoping the end game's not with The Rock, because I mean, while that match will draw money if they do it in front of a crowd, it's like they're not. I don't. The Rock can't go in the ring anymore. And Reigns, he's only as good as the person he's wrestling. You know, what I mean, that match with Jey Uso, I don't consider that a match. That was just a straight beatdown with um, Jey Uso getting a few moves in, but. Yeah, Reigns is back to the character he needs to be, but I'm not going to get be getting on my knees on the Reigns bandwagon. You know, I know I said props to him for finally being a heel in the past episodes, but it's just I'm still on the wait and see aspect of it. It's just like I can actually sit through a Reigns segment. Let's just put it that way. Well, yeah, because Paul Heyman's involved. Yeah. And then um, Orton and McIntyre had their ambulance match, and it was kind of like all of Orton's past sins came back to... Uh, to get back at him because all the people that he punted came back in some way or another during the match. And then McIntyre eventually wins the match, which was cool. I liked how the match ended. That feud should have been over, but... No! What? No, the feud shouldn't be over, because if they ended the feud, we wouldn't have gotten probably the best Randy Orton segment in, like, the last 10 years. I didn't like that one where they turned the lights off and he kicked everyone's ass it's full, dude, an ambulance match and the way that they wrote that, that should have been the period on it if they went through all that. And then the point out, now we have to have all these guys come back again, so where's the end game? If that was the case, they should have hit the ambulance match till somewhere later and then d- did that. It's just like, that's the nitpick that I have for that. Like, while that was cool, it didn't make sense storyline-wise because that was supposed to be the end of Orton. So, they just, that was just, if that was the case, then they shouldn't have put it that way, I thought. But we don't have to agree on everything. No, no, I agree. I mean, I just thought it was cool that he like had the goggles and he turned the lights out and whipped them all up. Like I yeah. thought that was cool. Because yeah, it's just so- like, like a fun as a fun moment. I agree with you on the booking aspect of it. Like that should have been the end. Drew McIntyre needs to move on to another feud because uh, he needs he needs to have a pretty dominant run. Like I want to see him put a bunch of people away. Right, yeah, like I, mean, I think that's how his run should be. I don't think there's any. They don't really have any other talent. I guess you know Orton, obviously, because they can tease the whole Ric Flair championship thing. But really, I just want to see McIntyre get into like a feud after feud after feud, run through the roster a little bit, give some people I mean, some shine. Like the thing is, they don't know how to book these guys properly though, because they had a monster in Keith Lee, and that guy's taking pins and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or like not. Clean matches, so it's just like I don't understand the way they write these guys. 
So who the hell else are they going to have but Mac McIntyre and Orton for like the 15th time? As good as that program is, it's just like you need to start building guys up better. And it's like, I mean, we got Murphy coming up, but it's going to be a while before he's in title contention. And it's like uh, McIntyre's had a good run. He's had the belt since April. But if he drops it to Orton, that's not going to be good because I think they're going to be doing hell in a cell. I didn't. I only watched bits and pieces of Raw, so I think that's where the end game is going to. And so, if Orton comes out of the t- of the Hell in the Cell match, then McIntyre's reign's a bust. Yeah, and I think the other nitpick I would have is like, like McIntyre's not a heel champion, so like to have him get the just the way they wrote it, I think like kind of almost makes Randy Orton the face, right? Yeah. That's odd writing. I because I as a couple people have came and said that to me. It's like, oh man, it took off four other guys to beat Orton and stuff like that. It's like, hey, it was a no disqualification match, and the thing is, it made sense in the storyline because he injured all of them at one time or another. And the thing is, I've heard that the end game that they want this is for Orton to be the champion, and then whenever Edge comes back, they want him and Edge for the title, which I think is a monumental mistake if they do that. Yeah, and the other thing is, like, I'm. It's like they write for these pie in the sky matches, and I'm just tired of it. Like, you got a bunch of talent, write the matches for the talents you have. Stop yeah, with these Orton, nonsense. Orton and Edge, that, that, that feud doesn't need a title. Like, what's wrong with having, like, more than one good program? You know what I mean? They want to fucking put all their eggs in one basket and blow their wad on this. Then what's going to happen? Orton. Uh, Edge has the belt. He disappears because he's not even a part-time guy. You know what I mean? He's injury prone, and Orton doesn't really need the belt. So the, the having the belt involved doesn't make any sense. No, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. But when we talk about belts, there is Asuka. Yes. And that belt actually means something because the main roster being that a certain person is no longer available to be in programs, they've actually, I want to say the main roster women's division has been great. And it's probably been one of, I think we talked about last week, when you look at like Bailey and Sasha Banks and Asuka and, you know, like they've really held it up since the pandemic started. Like their programs have all been good. And the way they've built their storylines and good matches, I'm just like, I loved it. I love how Oscar retained. And then she came out and Bailey and Banks got her revenge and just everything that was building up to there. I think it was a really well written little part. I think it was the highlight, maybe not match of the night, but like I think the highlight of the night and the way that just like it was a perfect like inflection point, not the end, obviously, but like it, it reestablished where all of these pieces are moving. Yeah, that makes sense. Storyline-wise, it, it, it made sense. It was cool. And I understand that they have to move these pieces a little bit differently since we don't have a crowd. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this Bailey and Banks um, deal, even though it's been taken forever, but that's fine. Oscar's having a de- The Raw women's roster is pretty is decent. And if I had it my way, I would just merge the two women's titles and have both w- women appear on both shows because the SmackDown roster is pretty depleted. Because Alexa Bliss doesn't really count right now because she's doing her thing with the Fiend, and then uh, who's even the champion? Oh, it's Bailey's the champion. And then Nikki Cross is out because I believe she tested positive. Don't quote me, but I think that's what 
is the deal. And they don't really have anybody else that's viable on SmackDown. So they need to, I think they need to merge those two rosters and it would be even better. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. The draft's coming up and we're just kind of BS anyways. Um, But last things I do want to quick talk about um, storylines moving forward. Uh, Interested in Kevin Owens and the Fiend. Yeah. I want to see where that takes Kevin Owens because everybody who's interacted with the Fiend changes in some way. So so that's going to be interesting. The Fiend storyline has been great. I have no... I have no um, I have no reservations about anything they're doing with that. I think it's been fantastic. Alexa Bliss has been great. The Fiend's been the Fiend. Kevin Owens is great. I can't wait to see what they do with him. And it's it's cool, you know. And that's why that's why I say time and time again why we get so frustrated because there are flashes of brilliance, not brilliance, but there are flashes of good stuff that they do, and it shows that these guys do know how to write well for certain people. So it's just like write the whole show well because it's been done before. But I digress. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're running a little bit long. So we're going to move straight into AEW Dynamite. We've got something we want to talk about. We're going to move. It's cool shit. Um, but AEW Dynamite has had two big shows. Um, I'm ex- I've am i enjoyed them thoroughly, to be honest. I like all of them. They're not all. It's not all spots by any means. But. Overall, as a fun wrestling show, last two weeks I think it's been great. Yeah, they've been la- they've been it, it tends for me at least it tends maybe it's just because I'm tired of, of, at the end of the day. For me, it tends to drag after the first half, and it's just like up and down. The first half are bangers, which is cool, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying like it's just it kind of it kind of loses me at certain points. Um, I'm pretty especially excited because after this AEW with um. 30 years of a champion. We have the year anniversary of AEW. So I'm sure they're just going to hit it out of the park with that. Uh, we haven't, we have Cajun, uh, what's his name? Hobbs, Will Hobbs, not the, no relation to Xander Hobbs, but that was a great match. I thought it was a little too long for my taste, but then after the after effects set up for it, how Taz threw out an olive branch for him to join team Taz. <laughs> so I get why they made the match long like that. And um, I don't know what, what do you think about that? No, I loved it. I loved how the previous week during the Darby Allen Starks match, um, Will Hobbs came out to prevent Brian Cage from interfering. Taz on commentary super pissed about it. So sure. I don't think Hobbs is going to join. I think they're building this like Hobbs Allen thing because Taz said basically like, "Hey, we're going to teach Darby Allen to keep his nose out of our business" type stuff. Um, but but I was reading something online and. Like, AEW is set to have, like, this really dope, like, super heavyweight division. Yeah. Because like, all these murderers who all take pins. Yep. They yep. got a lot of hosses. They have a lot of hosses, which is good. Dude. So they're finally, yeah. they're finally and, weeding out their division, which is, or their whole roster, I should say. And like I've always said, they have some good cats on there. But, you know, don't be having your guys that you want to you premiere on AEW Dark. And on on dynamite, have your guys that are on dark on dark, and have your guys that you're building up, and then have your guys that are ready, kind of or can be ready for dynamite. This is like I was stoked to see the hybrid two on dynamite. That was a sick match against FTR. You know that we needed, and I've said ad nauseum that they need to keep doing stuff with hybrid two because those guys can wrestle anyone. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's like, it's almost like they showed that FTR's weakness is like luchador style wrestling. Right. You know, I thought it was great how Angelico got so much good offense in. And, and really people like, don't that Angelico is kind of, he's almost more of a submission wrestler. He's not just a high flyer. Jack Evans is more of the high flyer. But in good booking and writing, it was cool at the end of that match. They did the superplex with the FTR, did the superplex with the splash. It's kind of like a, a, a wing to the Young Bucks so that they could change it up in the match if they had to. So I like the build that they're doing with that because FTR and the Young Bucks are eventually going to meet up. And I like how the elite are all like kind of losing their marbles. So it's pretty cool. Like I like what they're doing storyline and in ring wise. They, that seems like they've been listening to the podcast. And making the adjustments that are necessary. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But there are some things that don't change. And um, one of those is despite the black hair and the cool suits, Cody Rhodes' character has not changed. And he is um, he is the two-time TNT Dynamite champion now. Yeah. I'm not that mad about him taking the belt off um, Mr. Brody Lee. I wish if that was the case, though, they could have extended this feud a little bit longer. You know what I mean? Maybe another month or so. But that's just a nitpick, you know. So they put the they put the stamp on, you know, that feud, so to seem. And then with the brawl and everything, I don't know where it goes from there because, like, now they're kind of in a mess. So I don't know where Dark Order goes. They're not really my favorite anyway, except for Brody Lee. They're entertaining. They're an entertaining mid card group, but I think that's where they belong. So. It's, we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I like the week before Cody had the nice, like the nice little promo where he said no, but then he came back in and he's like, no regrets, no blah, blah, blah. And Reddy Rhodes obviously has been working on some stuff in the gym. So she was able to do a little bit of a high spot for her. So, yeah. um, Cody Rhodes probably I got really the best like, business right now. So it's, uh, yeah. I really like FTR with Tully Blanchard, and they're getting a lot of screen time as I think they should. And I think I think they're great. I liked yeah. when I liked when the Young Bucks super kicked Tony Schiavone, and they were like, "Hey, why didn't you kick us? Why didn't you kick us?" So they're like, they're they're courageous heels, which I think is a good nuance for them because they're really good in the ring and they're really good tag team wrestlers, but they're heels. They've got Tully Blanchard. But they're not cowardly heels. Well, I've always said the best heels are the ones that think they're doing the right thing. And, you know, like they do tuck tail and run sometimes. But then when it comes down to scrapping, they scrap and they win clean. I like I and I'm cool with the heels winning clean like that because I'm sick of the formula where like just because they're heels, they have to cheat to win. So, yeah, I know what you're saying. And I totally agree with that. So they're doing a good job with FTR and those guys are mechanics in the ring. So they can, they're pretty impressive, and they can run with, they can roll with anyone. So that's what's a good thing about them too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One thing I would like to see is I'd like to see Moxley. I don't know, man. I'm kind of bored with with John Moxley right now. I guess is the end of it. Like, well, you know, I, like I've said, it's time for him to drop the title, and they missed the perfect opportunity with MJF for whatever reason because there's not really. I mean, he's going up against Lance Archer, but. I would rather see MJF with the title because I'm not completely sold on Lance Harcher, and that has a lot to do with the way they've been booking him. Like, so he loses against uh, 
what, who did he lose against you? Cody Rhodes? He lost against Cody Rhodes for the TNT title. And mm-hmm. then he beat a bunch of jobbers. And now he's going to go up against. It's like, how are you supposed to? I don't know. I, don't, I just can't really get behind it right now. That's just my. No, no I agree. I, and I think that, like, when he didn't drop the title to MJF, you could make, like, he's like, well, I can see where they could go with this. But now in the in the subsequent weeks, you're like, damn, you guys really missed that opportunity. Cause now MJF is, is, is trying to get into the inner circle or whatever that is. Like, yeah. I don't know. It just diminished both of them in a way. Like yeah. now Moxie's boring and MJF is, has no direction. So you yeah. can ruin two of your best characters. Yeah. Cause if he joins the inner circle, then he gets lost in the shuffle with Jericho. And, I, I can see where they're going, so maybe he takes Sammy Guevara's spot, and Sammy Sammy Guevara turns babyface. I don't know. I'm not. I'm gonna reserve judgment, but I'm just like I'm not really. I I'm not saying I'm not digging it. I'm just not excited. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And then I want to say like certainly last week, maybe not so much this week, but um, one of your you know. One of your big critiques is like they don't pace their shows right, no. and so you get, and then you get these like, you know, you just gotta you gotta build your your night better, right? You gotta book better. You gotta build the matches. Like it's cool when you start off hot, right? You want to start off hot, but like you can't go hot for four straight matches. Now we're an hour in, and the second hour is gonna be like dog shit, or yeah, like they not dog they- shit. But you know, they burn the crowd know. out. Like that's what they do. They burn their crowd out, and that's the thing where like why WWE's top dog because they know their match placement. And it's like so as after that, you know, you're supposed to have, after that dog collar match, you have a let me up match, which they did in essence. But like it's just, and then the stuff too with the pitcher and pitcher shit. Like there was a spot in that dog collar match where it was pitcher and pitcher. You can't hear anything, so where do you naturally tune in is to the t- commercial. And then out of the corner of my eyes, I see Cody Rhodes drop uh, Brody Lee with the powerbomb through a table. Why is that not on TV? Why is that not uninterrupted? Like, you don't do that during a pitcher-in-pitcher. And that just shows the inexperience of some of these guys who've never worked in TV. Have never. The only reason I know this shit is because I've watched the WWE forever. And it's just like they 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 make a lot of mistakes, but they wouldn't make that one. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But overall, um, again, I really feel products across the board are pretty high right now. I think every promotion, maybe not raw, every promotion has something I'm interested in um, and some more than others. But I think NXT's got, I feel like NXT could just be like, they could have one night. They're just all women's wrestling and it would be dope. Like I would be stoked on every single match. And every match would be part of a storyline, which I think is amazing. Agreed. So, but we're going to take a quick powder and we're going to come back with the, I don't know, probably the best half hour, 40 minutes of your week, to be honest. So that's how we do it. Let's see what Eddie's, let's see what Eddie has to offer us uh, on the interlude. Bingo. We'll be right back. 
Once again, we're back with your favorite segment, Bobby's favorite segment, and the Dark Lord's favorite segment. What do we like to call it? Cool motherfucking sheets. And mm. with cool shit, the first thing we like to do is we like to go check the mail, because what do we got? Special delivery, the motherfucking mailbag. Right on, right on. So we got a few questions for you guys today. And just to let you know, if you want to send in your questions, you can hit me up on Xander Hobbs on the Instagram machine or Hobbs Xander on Twitter. Or you can hit up Bobby at... At WrestleOcalypse uh, on the Twitter and the IG. All right. First question is from Toxic, and he says, thanks for the content, especially the cool shit segment. Who was your guys' favorite wrestler that won a world title but wasn't really supposed to? Before we get into that, so in case anybody's confused out there, the brass usually has guys that they want winning the title to uh, to represent the company. But sometimes a wrestler so over or does or so good that they slip through the cracks and they reward them with the title win. So, Bobby, who do you got in mind? My number one guy, the first person I thought of when I read this question was my man, The Miz. Ooh, right. right. Because... Um, it was an epic cash-in, right? Like, he was going around with his valet. Like, just everything about it. He shouldn't have been the title. Nobody liked him having the title. But he actually no. helped for a little bit of time. So uh, that was the first one I thought of. I think if you dig back in history, there's a lot more. But um, one thing we've talked about on previous episodes, and uh Randy Orton was a face. Yeah. And he cashed in with the money in the bag, taking advantage of Randy Orton's knee injury. And there is this iconic crowd shot of this 10, 11, 12-year-old girl. Just her face of, of anger and disgust. And I will always remember that. And I always makes me think of Miz. And he should, never should have won the title. He's a mid-carder at best, right? Like, but he did, and that's what I thought of. So that's my answer. Yeah, Thanks, Todd. A pretty good one. I remember all of that. And um, so my not to go with is, like, I had some in mind, but as usual, I'm always on the go, and I forgot to put it in my notes. But another one that comes out is um, Christian. He um, he was always number two to Edge, and which I didn't think so in my opinion. I always thought Christian was a better wrestler, but... Edge had that um, that charisma, even though Christian did. But the the the, get, the brass was more towards Edge, and rightfully so. Edge was a star. But anyways, Christian when he won the title was great. Um, his runs weren't really good in WWE because I remember he lost the world title right after he won it against Orton, and and then um, he ended up getting it back. But he was just a guy that McMahon never really liked. But Christian, he checked out all the boxes. He could talk on the mic. He was charismatic, besides despite what people said, and he could go in the ring. And he was he was good. So I'm glad he had his world title runs. He had great world title runs in TNA slash Impact. But that's a different story for a different time. Toxic. Thanks for the question. Thanks, Toxic. Hey, I got a question from some guy named Fokker. Oh, Xander, what are your thoughts on the NWO and the impact they had on the business? Well, I'll start with the impact they had on the business. They changed the business, like just straight up. You know, the you know we obviously know about the biggest heel turn of all with Hulk Hogan being the third man turning into Hollywood Hogan. 
But what was crazy is it's like when you had Scott Hall and Kevin Nash first coming into WCW, everybody like they were running the story like these guys were from WWF invading. They weren't saying that they were done with WWF and they weren't even saying their names. And so it was just kind of like they were like kind of taking over. So they're interrupting matches. They were attacking baby faces and heels. They were like they, it was the start of that shades of gray instead of black and white, even though they were the bad guys. And they did some cool shit with the NWO. Um, maybe we'll run a segment on them in one of our Inside the Rings. But they did some cool things when it was just Hogan, Hall, Nash, and Bischoff. And then as what w- got WCW into the shits, they took something and they just ran with it when it shouldn't have been ran. Everybody was joining the NWO. Jobbers were in it. It was like almost a, there was a point where there was like more people that were in the NWO than not. And that's what made Diamond Dallas Page so valuable because he was never in it. I mean, you, for God's sakes, like Sting ended up joining the Wolfpack and that motherfucker was quiet for a year to fight NWO. So while it was a good thing to start out with, they just blew it way into the stratosphere and not in a good way. The impact was great, but the way they handled it going forward, um, not so much. But all in all, good impact, changed the business. Yeah, I so one thing, the first thing I thought of when I read this question was it changed the business because, and I feel especially with WWE, they're always riding and searching for the ultimate turn, whether it's a face turn or a heel turn, but it's yeah. like, they, they're, it's like they're chasing the dragon. Like they want to like that, that Hogan heel turn is so iconic. And that's like, they try to, and that's like, you feel shades of that with like the rain shit. It's like they're trying to build people up and like, and when they had the opportunity, which is crazy, they could have turned John Cena heel a million times. They yeah. didn't, they didn't pull the trigger, but it's like, I feel like a lot of their writing is to get these amazing, crazy turns and, and reveals. And because it was such that, that moment and him being that guy, that turn was just, it's so iconic, you know? Yeah. Um, like no one saw it coming hogan hadn't he'd been around here and there and it's just like he was kind of like fading out and then when he turned into hollywood hogan shit that put another 10 years on his career that was like supposedly done so they did it great and you know it's 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 just it's really cool they started and if you read if you look in some of the archives i mean i've mentioned it like eric bischoff made a list of what WWF was doing and what WCW is doing. So we'd write down shit that WWF is doing, and they did the complete opposite. So they were doing cartoony characters. He had them more real life. And this just changed the whole aspect of the business because the too sweet is still being thrown up to this day by the Bullet Club and the Young Bucks. I mean, it's like everybody still knows who Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are. You know, too sweet still goes around. Like, it's still prominent. You still see NWO shirts. So... It's something that's going to be cemented in the business and the industry forever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a great question. It's nice to pontificate about it. And I agree with you, Xander. I think that we're going to have to pencil this in for an inside the ring because um, we don't have time to do it justice, really. Right. Thank you. It is a big deal. So we're going to move on. (sighs) Stingray arm. Stingray arm. Stingray arm. I really enjoy your guys' Mount Rushmore segments. Thanks. I appreciate that. Who is your Mount Rushmore of promos? Well, that's 
That is quite the question. That's why we didn't add a fourth question because yep. this one has some, uh, has some meat on the bone. Uh, Xander, why don't, you, why don't you start chewing on it? I'm going to uh, try to organize my thoughts a little bit. So the top four promos. Man. So just because I have to, I got to go with Nature Boy Ric Flair. I mean, you've heard us a couple times on our cold opens that we've had him in there. That guy could talk and talk and talk, and he said some awesome stuff. Um, feel free to dial in on the Google machine. Um, the Rock. You got to do The Rock, you know, because, you know, he had all these catchphrases, his one-liners and everything like that. Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, same thing. The guy sat there, and he said what was on his mind, and he said what a lot of people inside the ring and outside the ring were thinking about different aspects of their life. He was kind of like, your everyday guy, and he did things to his boss that you didn't want to say, or you wanted to say, but you didn't, and he did. So I'm going to have him there. And then this one is kind of like an obscure one, but I had to do it. That's why it's um, Raven. If you're looking at his old ECW tapes, he didn't do the yelling promo. He was usually in the corner of a room, and he had this like kind of dark, demented thing, but it wasn't over the top. It was real, and, uh, and it was like, it's kind of like, it's kind of scary because, you know, you've heard some people one or another talk like that, kind of disturbed or damaged people. But Raven pulled it off really well. And, you know, just like I said, just type in Raven promo ECW on the YouTube machine and you'll go through that. I know I left a lot of people out. Don't jump on my throat. But those, I think, were the four best that I had to offer. Well, I agree with 75% of those choices because as I look at my list, I also had the Nature Boy Ric Flair. I had the People's Champion, and I had Stone Cold Steve Austin. But I had CM Punk as my uh, I'm not throwing a flag on that. No, I don't think you can. I'm not, flying, I'm not throwing a flag on yours, because you're right. It's like when you're trying to do a Mount Rushmore for promos, there's a lot of guys. And one thing I thought about, um, you know, so CM Punk, obviously, the Pipe Bomb promo, probably the most well-known, but all of his stuff on the mic, was always exemplary, like such right. a high level, and he was great. So, to me, he had to be on that on this list. But you know, yeah, a bunch um, of guys left out. But come on, man, there's so many. And just in case you guys don't know what a promo is, it's a guy. It's when you have the microphone, and it's pretty much to set up the match or the storyline. And it's just like it's to get people interested in watching, which is kind of becoming a lost art because a lot of people can't do it for one way or another. But I'm not getting into that. But no, go ahead, I, cut you off. I feel like I feel like this is another inside the ring. We got to delve into the promos, the in ring yeah. promos, the shoot promos, all the different promos there could be. But um, one thing I did want to say about this, and I think what's becoming increasingly popular, especially with AEW, is instead of doing promos, they're putting people on commentary. I like that. So I really like so, that. So they're able to advanced storylines basically cut extended promos against right. their opponent by putting them on on the announcer's table and i think that's brilliant especially because you have like guys like jericho and mjf and kenny omega who can really sell what they're saying via the commentating table and right. taz as well like certainly taz like as now that he's got his own stable i mean i think I think that's a really underrated nuance that 
that AEW is bringing out, and I think you're going to start seeing it more often. Uh, and WWE has used it quite a bit. There's always the best thing, like, when you have the heel commentator watching their future opponent and, and putting them over while also bearing them. Yeah, and also, too, it's not. it makes it less formulaic versus, like, the style that WWE is really known for is, like, show starts, talk on the mic, da-da-da-da talk on the mic, talk back, forth, and forth. And we put guys in the commentary booth. It just makes it to where, like, it gives you, you know, some uncertainty, so to speak. And um, just real quick before we go on to our next thing, I also miss, like, the sit-down interview segments. And um, AEW's been doing it full of those. And those ones are really good because it kind of takes a break from the in-the-ring activity, and it's a little bit more candid. Um, a perfect example is this one's more back in the day when JR sat down with Mankind and he was still the demented character. But then he talked about how he looked up to Shawn Michaels when he was a kid and how he, you know, wanted to be popular and stuff like that. And it just like it gave it another layer from this, this mentally deranged character. And I think that's what that interview just shot McFoley into the stratosphere, you know, as far as being over and being that uber crowd favorite. Versus just being like the deranged mankind or Cactus Jack. It's just like when done properly, it can really add depth to the character and just really give you that last why as in why do we care and makes you care that much more. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and it's interesting because the medium is changing now. Um, they're able to do more with less. You know, when you think about, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about like hangman pages promos when he was going up against Chris Jericho, you yeah. know, and just YouTube promos, like they can just do so much more. And then Twitter basically is a, as a promo machine. Exactly. And you know, so you have this whole other wrinkle about how you can develop your characters. You know, it's just, well, yeah, it's like a lot of these guys are tweeting and stuff like that and they're doing it in character and it makes it, and it gives that crowd some semblance of, is this real or, is this like them being them? And it's like, some guys still do that. And it's cool because it's like, it's while we all know that it's uh, scripted and stuff like that, it just kind of bugs me when you see these two guys um, battling each other out on the ring. And then the next day, you know, they're on Twitter having like a hamburger at Denny's together. It's like, yes, we get it. They travel together, but we kind of got to, let's keep some semblance of like fiction up in the air. You know what I mean? Like wait till the feud's over and you guys aren't, um, incorporated with each other to do that but it's just like I, I enjoy stuff like that because it reminds me of like when I was a kid and like well these guys where we thought it was still kind of real yeah and I think uh, right now my favorite guys who are doing promos uh, I think Cody Rhodes cuts a dope promo I think he's the best <laughs> promo in the game you know I think Kevin Owens on the mic is spectacular I think Chris Jericho's yeah. really good, but he, he oftentimes gets a little bit silly. Yeah, he's been doing that lately, but when he when he when he gets down to it, he can. I mean, then there's MJF who just keeps getting better. Um, you know, Orton throws a good promo when he's interested. There's there's a lot of guys that can do it. And and you know, what I like about AEW is like they're not all multi they're not scripted word for word. And that's what hurts a lot of these guys in WWE because you can see it in their eyes that they don't believe what they're saying and half the shit that's written to them, people wouldn't even say. So it's just like right. what Paul Heyman used to do back in the days, he'd give bullet points 
And he'd be like, dude, you talk about this, this, and this. You got about 10 minutes, do it. And it's sink or swim. And, you know, not yeah. everybody can talk on the mic. And I don't understand this edict where Vince McMahon wants everybody to be good on the stick because it doesn't work like that. If somebody can't talk on the mic, likes it, the guys in the Hurt Business, what do you do? You put them with someone who can. And what do you know? The Hurt Business is one of the hottest things on Raw. MVP, Sheldon Benjamin, um, Bobby Lashley, and who's the other guy? Shit. I don't know. And AEW is doing the same thing with Eddie Kingston. It's right. like, you know, and that's a super important, I think, uh, aspect to bring up. It's like your in-ring work can put other people over. And you, Paul Heyman is Paul Heyman is probably should be on this list. Yeah. Just from like, to be honest, like there's a reason why when they finally pulled the trigger on the Reigns heel turn. They put him with Paul Heyman. Believe that. And let's move on for that before we close this whole thing out with promos. So that'll be a future inside the ring for sure. All right. Yeah. Next up, we got match of the week. <sighs> I pull your life. Yes. And this one is going back. It's, it's so weird. It doesn't feel that long ago, but then you look at it and you're like, oh, yeah. Jesus. So we're going to take a jump back in the time machine. To April 26, 1999, a Monday Nitro. We have WCW World Heavyweight Champion Diamond Dallas Page going up against the man they call Sting. Yeah, man. When you sent me this, I didn't remember it. Probably didn't even watch it, to be honest. Um, but I had to go back and check it out and, uh, and did a little bit of research. And DDP was a beast. And yeah, that he was there. At, that, at that point, he was as good as anybody. Yep. And it's crazy that because is... DDP was the guy that wasn't supposed to go as far as he did. He came into the business. Well, he was always in the business, but he started wrestling late. And then, I mean, like I said, back to the NWO thing, the thing that put him over the top because he was always a heel. He had that diamond cutter and mm -hmm. he, the NWO tried to recruit him to join and he put the shirt on. While Kevin Nash is celebrating in the corner, Scott Hall eats the diamond cutter, and the crowd erupted. It was one of yeah. the biggest pops. And I remember watching that, and I was surprised as fuck when I was a kid because Diamond Dallas Page, and he just went through just a string of just dope matches, including this one. And, um, of course, when you're going up against an icon like Sting, it's going to be good, especially with these two guys. They're both pros. And the thing is what I liked about DDP, everybody throws a cutter now. But the way Diamond Dallas paid through the diamond cutter is to the point where he could do it from anywhere. I know Orton does it out of nowhere, but, I mean, you could be, like, in a wrist lock, and then he would hit you with the diamond cutter. Or, like, you know what I mean? He just did it, like, what, like wrestling move-wise. And it was just really dope. And this match between him and Sting, free TV, one of the problems WCW had was giving these matches away. But us fans, we, um, we dug it. And it ends with Sting winning the WCW title. And I think that was his last title reign in WCW. That's why, don't quote me, I could be wrong. But it's what, it should be one or his last one or one of the last ones. Anyways, I digress. It was a great match. It goes about 24 minutes. And um, it's really, it, it's cool. It told a story and it was good in the ring. Bobby, I don't know how else you thought of this. No, I liked it. So, so um, the other thing I wanted to say is like, Sting was such an untouchable character. Yeah, for a long time, you know, especially when he went, 
once he became pro sting with the white face and dropping out of the rafters and the baseball bat and just everything it's like and so again um it just shows that like you can have great matches it's like it, it just captures a moment in time like Diamond Dallas Page, Diamond Dallas Page was really good at that point in time. He earned that match against Sting, and they put on a great match. It was a great match. Awesome! Check it out. It's on the YouTube machine. It's on Daily Motion, and it's on the WWE Network. Of course, it is. <laughs> and so now that we got Match of the Week out of the way, we're going into our new segment that I'm liking a lot. It's called Watch of the Week, and it's what Bobby and I do. It's what we're watching besides wrestling. So we have a quite a big watch of the week for you. So let's just get it started right now. Yeah, man. I got to say, uh, Betty Revel and I, we found this show on Netflix three seasons worth. It's called Rust Valley Restoration. It's this story of some Canadian hillbillies, basically, and their epic journey of trying to start a custom car restoration company and the main character basically is like a dreadlocked d snyder from canada he owns like 500 400 uh classic cars he's collected and it's just it's uh it's not one of the it's not it's not and i i don't want to talk shit on any of these people but i like it because it's a car show where not every car is perfect they are not perfect the shop isn't immaculate um they like to do things like do uh, they do a lot of um, demolition derbies and different things like that. So it was a really cool bingeable show. I really enjoyed it. We watched it, and uh, you know, I feel like they're gonna get another season. Uh, the one we watched just was this year's season. So if you haven't checked it out, it's like I said, if you like cars, if you like watching a bunch of people be crazy that you know in Canada, that check, check, check it out. Right on, right on. Um, I've been watching one, and then we just started another. So on the Hulu machine, they have every season of Top Chef. And so I came into Top Chef kind of not really too late, but I didn't start it from the beginning. So I started off watch. we started off watching uh, season one of Top Chef. And it was interesting because Padma, or Padme, whatever, Padma, yeah, she's not on the first season of Top Chef. So I thought, I thought that was pretty funny. And then also, too, you see all these other chefs that are from, they make cameos on other shows that were on this first season and on other seasons as well. And if you know me, you know that I like watching cooking shows and Top Chef is a pretty dope show. They, um, they take them all, they take, make them do all these kind of crazy quick fire challenges and then they have an elimination challenge and it's just interesting to see what people pull out of their asses. And then we just started again, uh, Californication. It's an old show that used to be on HBO. It's with David Duchovny. In the series, he is the struggling writer who's going through this weird breakup deal with a longtime girlfriend, and they're raising their daughter. And um, he kind of whores around like the real David Duchovny, but he really wants his girlfriend back. And then in between all of that, he's trying to write a book, and he's interacting with a lot of these rock stars. There's a lot of real rock stars in it. Dope soundtrack. Got a lot of cool heavy metal. It's just one of those cool, I don't know, raunchy, binge-worthy shows that... I mean, if you're into music and writing and dark comedy, you'll really dig it. And um, it's, it's one of my favorite ones, and I'm just going to run it back again. So I thought it was cool. 
Yeah, I like both of those shows. I probably watched a little bit more Top Shelf than Californication. Um, Top Chef, uh, one of the things I really liked about it um, was they have the iconic Restaurant Wars. That's right. Which is always the best, always the best episode of the season. Because people right. lost their shit. Like, that's when the stress got so high and they just crumbled. And, uh, yeah. and it's funny watching people lose their shit or like, you know, and they just, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that show shows you how people react under pressure and, it, and it's, um, it weeds people out really nicely. Cause, um, there's in the season we watched, there was this guy in it that was a small, yeah, that was, I mean, and I'm not too sure. I just found this out. My girl told me that they're like a wine expert and stuff like that. And he, yeah. kept, he kept, kept talking about it, but he really couldn't cook for shit. And all, every time he would, like, put stuff together, it'd be all these weird ingredients. And Tim Allen actually um, awarded him with a quickfire win, and it looked like his dish looked like a watercolor. It was fucking weird, and everybody was pissed. And so, obviously, the guy didn't make it, but it was good entertainment because he had a really punchable face every time he opened his mouth. And it's just it's stuff like that that kind of cracks me up. And I also like watching it, too, because... It gives me ideas on, like, you know, what to do when I'm in the kitchen. Not saying I'm going to be a top chef, but just different things to use and uh, tricks to do and stuff like that. So it's cool stuff, and it's got one of my favorite things in it, food. So you can't really win, can't really lose with that. Yeah, but probably the best thing that I've been watching, I don't know if you've been watching it because we've been, we're the anchors on the Wrestleocalypse Sports Network. And we're here to fill all of you guys in on the latest in the sports world. So, Xander, what are we going to start off with? Oh, man. Unfortunately, we're going to start with the Cowboys' failures. Man, my, as I was supposed to you know, I am a Dallas Cowboys fan, and this season is atrocious. Their scheme has more holes in it than a whorehouse, and I don't see them getting filled up anytime soon. It's just like what Bobby and I were talking about earlier. They should be 0-4. And the reason why they have that one win is because the, the Falcons are worse than they are. And it's just like, like, like I said, it doesn't matter how good your stats are and how many points you put up. If you're getting outscored when you score like 36 points and up, then there's something wrong with your game. The defense, anybody can run on them. I mean, the offense gets behind in the, in the, in the first half. And then some, and then most of the time as you've seen, it can't come back. They make mistakes and, Everything is just not clicking, and I'm only giving it a semi-pass because they've got a new coach. So, I mean, you see flashes here and there, but it's just too many mistakes, and the schedule doesn't get easier. So, I mean, I it's pretty disappointing, to be completely honest with you, and you can tell because I don't really have much to say about any of that except what you just heard. Yeah, I agree. But four weeks in, who do you think are the – who do you think are the top, like, three or four teams in the NFL? Right now? Um, yeah. The, said, the, Bills, like? the Bills, the Chiefs. Um, trying to think. Bills, NFC. The Who's the best in the NFC? The Seahawks. <clears throat> yeah. I, do, I you mean, believe in the, do you believe in the, the Packers? I mean, the Packers can, can pull. Uh, the Packers are never out of it. Like they're one of those teams where they'll fly under the radar, and then when it's time to like hit the hit the buzz saw, they'll do it. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is still a bad man; and he's surgical. And I watched mm -hmm. this interview with him on ESPN with Pat McAfee, 
and it was hilarious. They were just talking about the season, and he go and Pat McAfee was like, "So what about all those people saying it's going to be a down year for you?" And Aaron Rodgers was talking and talking. He says, "You know what?" And you know, sometimes if I'm my down year is most people's like career years, and so he dropped the mic and he left, which is totally true. Yeah, it is totally true. My biggest fear is because Mike McCarthy is the coach of the Cowboys. The Cowboys will somehow eke in the playoffs, and they will have to face Aaron Rodgers in the first round, and he will. And this is the same thing. The same thing that happens every year. The Cowboys beat a shit NFC East. They eke in the playoffs. And then they lose because everyone in the playoffs belongs there except for them. On to the next thing, please. Yes. People who do belong there, people who wear purple and gold, or sometimes black snakeskin jerseys, um, and that is the Lakers are on the cusp as we record this. Tomorrow night, they will take the court in their black mamba jerseys to uh, try to attempt to eliminate the Miami Heat. and. Uh, I think it's a wrap. It's a wrap. Anthony Davis, they cannot guard him. They don't answer for him. Like, unless he gets in foul trouble, but, and LeBron is on a mission um, for his legacy to have three titles with three different teams, right. bringing the title to Cleveland. Um, his stats are, speak for themselves. Um, as a lifelong Laker fan, I love that he's winning a title for us, but I want to be honest and, I've never really enjoyed his game. I feel, you know, people always like to say, like, he always tries to open man and everything. But, um, you know, I'm a Kobe Bryant guy, and Kobe Bryant played with a creativity and a panache that was expressive. And I don't necessarily think LeBron does because he's bigger, stronger, faster than everybody. So, but I respect right. the fact that he came to the Lakers, and I feel we're going to get a title. And I am so impressed with how good Anthony Davis is. If you want yeah. to come talk to me about, Giannis, I will accept that. But if you come talk to me and tell me that Joel Embiid is even half as good as Anthony Davis, get the fuck out of here. I don't want to hear that yeah. shit. Like, yeah, Davis really came into his own, man, because I, and I always said, you know, I'm not as big of a basketball head anymore as Bobby, but if Anthony Davis can stay healthy, man, that guy can, that guy's a monster. And so far he did. And, you know, hopefully Friday this closes out, we get a gentleman's sweep and we can bring this home for Kobe. Yeah, indeed. And so definitely we're looking at that. We're also watching the uh, the Dodgers should be dispatching of the Esky Padres uh, baseball playoffs. They've been interesting, man. It's like playoff baseball. I don't know. It just seems to have. And I guess I'm more, maybe more of a baseball fan, but it always has a little bit of like drama to it. Right. Yeah. And the way baseball is, you get these high leverage moments. So. Um, as a Dodger fan, obviously, I'm stoked. I really enjoyed watching uh, Cody Bellinger rob that home run uh, last night and the ensuing chaos. I don't give a fuck about Manny Machado. You didn't help us win. So we'll summarily dispatch the Padres and move on. Um, I feel like we're on a collision course to deal with the Astros. And if that happens... I hope we beat the fuck out of them because they're cheaters. Yeah. And I don't want here this year to try for them to like, oh, well, we won. Look, at we're not cheaters. They're cheaters, and they need to be dealt with. Definitely. So. But, yeah, is there any other sports you want to talk about? 
No, I think we got it because we are winding down. We got walkout music. We got to hit this inside the ring. We are hitting the witching hour. So we indeed, indeed we are. So Bobby, so this next segment we have, man, I'm losing it. It's been a long week. So walkout music. What are you walking out to this week? Oh, I mean, uh, I only have one thing that I'm coming out to, and that is running with the devil. Nice. And I know everybody knows this is, but you're going to have to do it right now. I just listened to that album yesterday. Yeah, on Spotify, this is crazy. On Spotify, the 2015 remix has 115 million listens. Jeez. Yeah. 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 So. I, was, I was listening to a book on tape and um, I was at a stoplight and I was just scrolling through my Instagram. Was, it just, and then I saw the thing and then I was just like, and I went to go confirm it and uh, it was all over the all over the internet and so the first thing i did was put on van halen one and yeah that's how it started out and i'm still going through i mean the van halen that i like is with david lee roth they have good songs with sammy hagar some but i'll always remember it as david lee roth because a uh, funny story real quick before i get into mine i was watching i think a sammy hagar video when i was a kid on mtv and i was like hey dad check us out it's van halen and he's like that's not van halen and so he gave me the Fair Warning album. And so I listened to that and it changed my entire life. But <laughs> I will not be coming out to a Fair Warning song. I will be coming out to a Van Halen song, but it's off the 1984 album. It's called House of Pain and it's the last song. And that second half of um, um, 1984 is really dope because we all just know it for Jump and Hopper Teacher. But there are some great songs on it, including this one. It's got a dope riff and you can check it out right now. I'm gonna 
I mean, if you're throwing a flag on that, then you need to get your ears checked. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> but that's, you know, they just, he was so good. They were all so good. I agree with you. David Lee Roth, I mean, just phenomenal. Like, we definitely lost uh, a lion for sure. Yeah, that was a juggernaut. And like I said, you know, this one stings a little bit. Even though I didn't know the guy that was playing, that was in my rotation for years and years and years till this day. So, I mean, like I said, he may be gone, but what he's left, the impact that he's left on this planet is going to be here long before all of us, you know, you know, after all of us are gone. So, you know, kudos to you, Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, definitely. And uh, best wishes to his family. Hopefully you guys, you know, were able to. It's tough with the cancer, you know. Yep. All right. But now that we're in the ring, we gotta we gotta talk about stuff that's going on inside the ring. Yep. And so today we're going to be bringing you a move, one of my favorite moves, and I think one of Bobby's favorite moves. It's called the DDT. And um, I'm just going to give you the quick definition of it that they have here on the Wikipedia machine. It says, in professional wrestling, a DDT is any move in which the wrestler has the opponent in a front face lock or an inverted headlock and falls down or backwards to drive the opponent's head into the mat. The classic DDT is performed by putting the opponent in a front face lock and falling backwards so the opponent is forced to dive forward onto their head. Um, most people know the invention and is credited by Jake Roberts, who gave the DDT the name. Um, there was a Mexican wrestler named Black Gordon, who I'd never heard of. This is just from my research, but he used the move in the 70s. And people have always asked what DDT stands for, and there's so many different names that people have given it. Um, but uh, I remember this one. Jake, they asked Jake what DDT meant, and he just replied, the end, which is correct. <laughs> Yeah, man, it is. It is. So basically, if you haven't got it, if you haven't checked it out, if you don't aren't on the same page, um, our inside the ring gimmick right now is we are analyzing, explaining and enlightening you on the different moves used in wrestling. And DD is one of my favorites because it's thrown so many different ways. Right. Yeah. As it says. It is either a front face lock or inverted headlock, which gives it lots of different looks. So when it comes to the DDT, the things that I enjoy the most, um, uh, the double underhook, which is basically the paradigm shift or dirty deeds, uh, especially because how Mox throws it is super rad. And Um, and that's an ode to Mick Foley because he, Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, used to throw the double-arm DDT, so that's an, that's an homage to him. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. I also like um, what I always knew as the hanging DDT, but uh, elevated DDT, which is, I loved it because of my main man, the Viper, Randy Orton. Uh, when he was punting everybody, he was also putting them up, and the way he threw that hanging DDT was just, so explosive, and it wasn't necessarily his finishing move, obviously, because RKO is, but yeah. it was like quite the maneuver. Uh, and then uh, definitely the Scorpion Death Drop. Yes, which is the inverted DDT. That's a great one. Yeah. 
Yes, and he obviously, the reason we all know that the Scorpion Death Drop is because he's Sting, and it's amazing. And right. then I think the last one was uh, Willow's Bell. Which um, is uh, another... Champa does, right? Yes, it's another elevated DDT, and Champa uses it. So I really like those. I like how they can throw them. And there's so many different ways that people throw DDTs, and I think Xander's uh, going to break it down a little bit uh, better for us all. Yeah, I mean, I like, there's so many different variations of DDT, and as Bobby mentioned, I'm going to name a few of mine, and then I'm just going to get into the art form of it. I've always liked the snap DDT, and it just starts off with the front face lock, and then the wrestler swings his legs forward, and then kind of like just snaps him on the head. So, And then the wrestler usually puts his legs up, so it looks like he's just getting spiked on his head. It's kind of like extra momentum. Um, Takahashi and uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling uses it while the opponent's kneeling, and Maurice uses it, and same with um, Alexa Bliss on a newer route. I also like the Tornado DDT. Um, you know, you'd see a lot of luchadors and guerreros do that one. That one's really cool. It looks dope. It's, um, it's a wrestler gets to the top rope, front face lock, and it's elevated. The person sitting on the top turnbuckle and they just whip around. They jump forward, swing around and fall backwards, just drop the opponent on their head. Really fucking cool. And then my last one I like, really like is I liked the, I like, um, oh, I just lost my head. And then I'm just going to have to go with the, inverted ddt like the scorpion uh, death drop like bobby said because that one is really cool and then a uh what's it called an honorable mention is the arm barbie ddt that as we know that andrade throws i think it's really cool and it's just what i liked about the ddt is that it was a finishing move and some people that use it still like moxley's he doesn't get it kicked out of many times and a few other people but now the ddt's come the way of like kind of a setup move or a signature move it's in there for a big spot, but it's not doesn't quite have the impact that it did. It looks cool, but I'm one of those old school guys that I think the DDT should be the finisher, and nobody should be kicking out of that. Yeah, I agree, especially the multitude of ways that people can throw it, you know. But I mean, like you said, it's an art, right? Only so, like, it can't be a finishing move for everyone because only certain people really throw it with the ferocity that it requires. Right. But it's just like, you know, and if we're if we're like trying to suspend our disbelief, I get that. But, you know, in reality, you get dropped on your head, especially the way some guys are doing it. You're not really getting up. But alas, that this is pro wrestling and, you know, things change and movesets change. And, you know, while the DDT hasn't come the way of the clothesline or the super kick, it's still, a, you know, it's not quite that overused yet. It's still pretty impactful. And um, the guys that are doing it right are giving it props. And I don't know, what else do you have to add on that, Bobby? Just that I think, like, I think that this is probably my favorite move we've kind of examined so far because everybody has some sort of variation on it. Like, Johnny Gargano uses one as the one final beat, right? That's a dope one. I like how he did the slingshot DDT. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. And then... uh, you know, Val uses the single underhook with the Bloody Sunday or the 1916. And yeah. it's just like, and it's it's just, the people who can throw it right, they can throw it so well. It is such an impactful move. Even if it isn't necessarily their finisher, it's like, it's a momentum stopper. It right. is like, 
it is like an inflection point of the match. And yeah, there's just so many variants of it that makes it so interesting. You know, it's like we talked about, you know, other moves and, and there aren't 30 different variations of them. You know right. what I mean? Like not, not even talking about all those flipping um, DDTs that people use. You know what I mean? Like I like the slice bread number two. That's a really cool one. Um, it's a, it's the technical term is the Shirin, Shirin And, um, th those are pretty cool. You know, that, like I said, you could just go down the list. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now and there's like maybe 20 to 30 different ones. You know what I mean? And, um, uh, but the ones like Bobby said, the impactful ones are the ones that are still being used as finishers. And still that's a move that hopefully will stand the test of time and doesn't get overutilized. Like a lot of these other X finishing moves used to do. Yeah, I agree. And uh, you know what? I think I'm going to go ahead and throw a elevated DDT on this episode. Right on. I'll and do on the that same. note? What's that? I said, and on that note? Yours truly, Xander Hobbs. Ours truly, this life, and I'm Bobby B. And we'll close this out with another tune from Van Halen. Rest in peace, Eddie. Rest in peace, Eddie. And hey, everybody else, you're welcome. <laughs>